0: evening and welcome to Jewish Insights on the holiday of Purim. The holiday of Purim, the story of Purim is a fantastic one, it teaches us many uh, really interesting lessons and today we're going to focus on a super, super, super fundamental one of the lessons and that is, what is the most important part of the holiday, of the story, what is the most important, vital part of the Megillah? We will begin with reviewing the story of Purim, and we'll read it kind of quickly so that we don't spend too much time on it, and then we'll get involved in this major question and the lesson that's going to emerge from this point of what's the most important part of the Megillah, this lesson is going to shake your very foundation of how you engage Jewishly. Are you ready to be shaken? Excellent. Okay. Now, to read off the first four pages, uh, section A, Reb Shmuel, can you please read for us the story of Purim in short, the entire thing?
1: King Akashverosh held a banquet in the capital city of Shushan and ordered his queen Vashti to come before his guests. She refused to appear and lost her royal position. Acting on advice from his counselors, Akashverosh had women from all over the kingdom brought to him so he could choose a new queen. Esther, a young Jewish woman from Shushan, was chosen. However, following the advice of her cousin Mordechai, who raised her after her parents died, Esther did not reveal her Jewish origins to the king. Mordechai often sat near the gate of the king's palace. One day he overheard two men, Bigson and Sheresh, plotting to kill the king. Mordechai reported what he had heard to Esther. She then reported the information to the king. The matter was investigated and found to be true, and Bigson and Sheresh were put to death. Mordecai's deed was recorded in the king's chronicles. Meanwhile, the king's evil advisor, Haman, demanded that all bow down to him. Because Jews do not bow down to anyone but God, Mordecai refused to bow down to Haman. Upon learning that Mordecai was Jewish, Haman decided to kill all the Jews in the Persian empire. He plotted to kill them, convincing King Akashverosh to go along with the plan to cast Purim, lots, plural of poor, a kind of lottery to determine the day on which he would carry out his evil deed, the 13th of Adar. When Mordechai discovered the decree, he took to the streets in mourning clothes and all the Jews in Persia fasted. Esther turned to the king and asked for a feast with him and Haman. At the end of the feast, Haman saw Mordechai refuse to bow down again. And on the advice of his wife, Zeresh, he erected huge gallows upon which to hang Mordechai. That night, the king couldn't sleep. He asked to be read from the Royal Book of Chronicles and came across the story about Mordecai saving the king. The king asked Haman how to honor a man whom the king wished to honor. And Haman, who thought the king was talking about him, exaggerated in gestures of honor, royal clothes, the royal horse, and a procession through the city. al asked Haman to prepare all those honors for Mordecai, the Jew. Esther held a second feast in which she revealed her Jewish identity to the king convincing him to save the Jews and foiling Haman's plot. The Jews were allowed to fight back. Haman was hanged. Mordecai received his estates and the position of royal vizier, advisor, and the Jews of Persia celebrated their salvation on the 14th of Adar, the day after they were supposed to be annihilated.
0: Thank you, Reb Shmuel. That was awesome. You did a great job. Did you prepare in advance? No. Okay, you did a great job. <laughs> I know the story though. <laughs> okay, and you're a good story reader. Okay. okay, we're moving on to section B. So we've got the story of Purim. We understand um, we understand the Jews do something, and then um, Mordechai does something, and then the Haman pulls out a plan, and Ahasuerus is going to annihilate the Jewish people, and then there is engagement, and finally it's all over. Okay. Now we come to source one and source two. And these these are, this is the beginning of our conversation. So let's ask uh, Jaime. Jaime, number one, what's your Jewish name?
2: Uh, Chaim Moshe.
0: Chaim Moshe, okay. Which one do you prefer? Chaim or Moshe or both? Uh, 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 Chaim's fine. Chaim is fine, okay. We'll share it. So Chaim, please read for us source number one and then source number two.
2: On that night, sleep evaded the king and he ordered to bring the book of records, the chronicles, and they were read before the king. From where must a person read the Megillah in order to fulfill his obligation? It is taught, Rabbi Shimon Baruchai says, one must start to read from on that night. And the one who said that it needs to be read from on that night understands that the expression is referring to the power of the miracle. Which began on that night when Achshveros could not sleep, and therefore one must begin reading the Megillah from there.
0: Excellent, thank you. So, what do we have? We have the Gemara is asking a question: What's the most important part of the entire Megillah? And the Gemara answers the question where Mishima Baruch says, "Balayla ha'hu on that night," and we all need to figure out what is so important about Balilahahu. On that night Yeah, Ahasuerus doesn't fall asleep following the you know the literal part of the story Ahasuerus can't fall asleep, and so he says bring me the book of the Chronicles they bring him the Chronicles and then he reads Miraculously he reads specifically the story of Mordechai how how Mordechai saved the king's life through um, snooping in on the big son and Seresh um, affair and so we see from there How that is the turning point, how Ahasuerus recognizes the importance of Mordechai, the head of the Jews, and as such, the rest of the Jews, and hopefully that leads to um, a miracle. It leads to an appointment uh, and value of Mordechai, etc., etc. But we're going to flip the story and discover what is the mystical, the secret side, the Hasidic side of this whole story. And so that brings us to um, the Rebbe, the main miracle. Really? And let's ask um, Juan, can you read for us, please? The main miracle, read for us, who couldn't sleep and why was God sleeping?
3: States, on that night, it sleep about uh, the king. My father-in-law, the previous Rebbe, cites the custom transcribed by the Maharind According, according to which the reader is supposed to write, his voice upon reading the verse, because it is the pivotal force of the miracle. Now the pivotal force of the miracle seems more reasonable to be the third petition and her endeavor to notify the, the decree. That pivotal force of the miracle is reflected in the fact that the king couldn't sleep. Couldn't sleep. Sorry.
0: Okay. Just a moment here. So, we wonder who. what's the main thing about Ahasuerus not being able to sleep? Really, we should be focusing on how Esther makes a ploy to get her... Petition in front of the king and she risks her life to do that that seems to be much greater a much greater miracle She doesn't get killed. She gets her way. She manages to tell a story But in a moment in the who couldn't sleep paragraph we're about to we're about to um to drop a major major point that'll really um, share shed light on our conversation Juan, take it away. Who couldn't sleep?
3: Uh, the answer to this question lies in the Midrachi teaching that say that the king who couldn't sleep is referring to Hashem, the king of the universe. The feveral force of the miracle is that Hashem couldn't sleep. However, it doesn't seem uh, to answer the question, in fact, it raises for the question: Is sleep possible for Hashem? That's in the verse, "Say the guardian of Israel neither slumber nor sleep."
0: So now we have. Now we're faced by. Yeah, we just said this is so major. That every time it says, whenever when there's a reference of the king couldn't sleep, it's actually a reference to Malchuy Shalolam, the king of the universe, which is God. So we said that's major, but yeah, like what's so major about that? Um, in fact, it actually wakes up a really big question that someone should be thinking about, and that is, there is a verse that says, "The guardian in Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps." Well, if the God of Israel isn't sleeping, so then how do you make a correlation between Ahasuerus, the king, and God? Malko Yisholot, the king of the universe. How do you make this correlation, and how do you say that the king of the universe is sleeping? Major, major, major question, and that question has got to be burning in your seat for you to really thrive on this question. How can we suggest that Hashem is sleeping And of course we understand that Hashem is watching over the Jewish people all the time Hashem is wide awake taking care of us And now you're telling me he's sleeping Oy vey, so let's take a look um, Fascinatingly throughout our um, tonight's curriculum We're going to dance between um, a comment from the Rebbe from 1920 and a comment from the Rebbe Uh, Sorry, not 1920, 1970, 1960, and 1972, Purim 1960 and Purim 1972. So now we're going to read source number three, a piece from Purim 5732, 1972, and it goes like this. The normal state of affairs should be that in all their troubles he is troubled. When the Jewish people lack something spiritually or physically, being that every Jew, and especially the Jewish people as a whole, Are God's children like the verse says you are children to the Lord your God in the Hebrew it is obvious that when a son is in a difficult situation his father can't sleep at all he toils and does everything in his power to ensure that his child lacks nothing if so Hashem should normally never be in a state of slumber and all the more so in the time of the Jewish people who are stuck in this painful situation of Purim. Yet here we say that the fact that Hashem couldn't sleep was a miracle, an even greater miracle than the upheaval at the end of the Purim story. Is the pivotal force of the miracle really the fact that Hashem couldn't sleep? And that's the question that the Rebbe is leaving us with over there. Usually, I Hashem is not able to sleep, and suddenly over here, when it comes to him, he is sleeping, and then he wakes up, and that's called a miracle. Usually, Hashem is wide awake. What's the miracle in Hashem being asleep? So let's get, um, Rabbi Shmuel, can you read for us, please, um, the reflection, the reflection, and then read also source number 4 and 5.
1: Verse states, as face answers to face in water, so does one man's heart to another. On a similar note, the Baal Shem Tov famously explained the verse, "The Lord is your shadow," that just as a shadow mirrors the behavior of the person, so too God is your shadow. A person is treated from above according to his behavior below. As face answers face, as face answers to face in water, so does one one man's heart to another. The Lord is your guardian. The Lord is your shadow. He is by your right hand. Baal Shem Tov's teaching, based on the actions a Jew performs in this world, identical matters occur on high, like a person's shadow, which perfectly mirrors his movements.
0: Okay, so, thank you, Rabbi Shmuel. We have two verses over here. And Verse number one comes from uh, Proverbs, and it says, The way we... The way a mirror, the way water reflects the vestige of a person who stares into it, so also one's heart reflects the person they're engaging with. And of course, uh, the, the the simple understanding is when you engage with someone and you're feeling positive and bright and happy, then that person picks up on your vibes and the the opposite is true as well. Now the Rebbe has another sentence. The Rebbe quotes for us Psalms 121 5, which says, Hashem and the main word over there is the Lord is your shadow. Well, the Bal Shantov tells us that a shadow does exactly what the person does. In a way, it's like a reflection. Both of these quoted verses are referring to a reflection of what I do is reflected back at me. Ever heard of karma? Maybe this is a Jewish source for karma. I'm not mixing into karma. I don't know, if, I don't know anything about it. But maybe this is a Jewish idea for that. And from here, the Rebbe is going to tell us, we're going to discover how what we are doing and what, what the Jewish people did during the time of Purim, Hashem came to reflect it, and that's the answer to our conversation. So let's get, um, Khanna, are you able to read, even if your camera's off, are you able to read the Rebbe, which is, um, the next two paragraphs?
4: Yes. Okay. As it's, uh, it. sleep is, ex- sleep is compared to exile, that part?
0: No, no, the Zohar states come.
4: Oh, uh, oh, Okay um okay the zohar states come and see the lower physical world always stands ready to accept but the upper world gives it only according to its standing if there is illumination in the lower world the upper world shines upon it as well in simpler terms when a person is joyful in the world below joy shines down upon him from above and the reverse god forbid is true as well
3: One more paragraph.
4: Okay, sorry, it fell off my screen. Here it is. During the time of the Purim story, the Jewish people were, quote, asleep. Therefore, instead of the regular state in which the guardian of Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps, they needed to seek methods to awaken God, so to speak.
0: So now we're getting a little hint to what's going on. We introduced that... The biggest part of the story is that Hashem is that the king is sleeping. And we said, who is the king? It's Hashem. And so we turned around with a major question. We said, how can you suggest that Hashem is sleeping? And suddenly Hashem wakes up. Well, the resolution is, how do you say Hashem is sleeping? Because Hashem is mirroring our behavior. Hashem is behaving back to us like we behave to Him. and so what's the solution got to wake him up so we're about to discover in the coming section we're going to get a little deeper in on the what is sleep and then in section four we'll hit to how do we wake up Hashem. so let's go section c Jaime Chaim can you read for us um, read for us the whole page 11 And
2: the first paragraph on 12. Okay. All right. Um, So sleep is compared to exile. A state of sleep in this world is a reference to exile. And the verse states, I am asleep. And the Zohar explains, I am asleep in exile. In other words, exile is comparable to a slumber. When a person is asleep, he remains complete and intact, just like a person who is awake. But his faculties, especially his intellect and emotions, do not function at all or function only to a lesser degree, deaf-mute while asleep. To be more specific, we know that sleep begins at the moment one closes his eyes. In other words, the other limbs of the body carry no visible distinction between their awake and asleep states, which would compare to the eyes opening and closing. Now, vision is an extremely important faculty, both physical vision and intellectual vision. As the verse says, a wise person has vision in his mind, but the fool walks in darkness. When a person is unable to see or recognize the occurrences around him, he is asleep. Similarly, the power to listen and hear is, in a more refined sense, the power to discern and evaluate. As the verse says, the ear tests words. When a person lacks the ability to evaluate the difference between a good sound and a bad one, he is asleep. The same is true for all other faculties of the soul.
0: Awesome, thank you. So what do we got? We have here, um, we have a comment on, on sleep and it's gonna continue. The notion is that during sleep, our being shuts down. What's the first and most obvious moment of sleep? When we close our eyes. What happens when you close your eyes? You lose your vision. I had a friend who used to say when he was, sleep, like when he was dozing in class, and the teacher called him out on it, he said, "I'm just investigating the inside of my eyelids." Yeah, right. It's called sleeping. right? The moment we go to sleep, the first thing that we do, the first effort that we're doing is our eyes close. Our senses are dulled, are s- uh, uh, lowered. And more than that, more than that is that um, when, when you're asleep you lose that inte- intellectual ability, the strength of, of being to discern between good and bad, between right and wrong, between what's going on. It's really hard to tell. And then add to that the next paragraph when you're dreaming. In fact when you dream things go crazy, it gets chaotic. chaotic. We lose, one can lose complete control and, and um, regulation of themselves. So, the next paragraph, after Absurdity of Dreams, the third one there, Sight and Sound and Serving Hashem. Let's get, um, Hannah, can you read for us again, please? Into the next page. Um,
4: which part? The absurdity of Dreams? Or... Sight and
0: Sound, bottom of page 12, through mid-page 13.
4: Sight and sound. Okay. Sight and sound in serving God. How does this play out in our service of God? The Torah states, raise up your eyes and see who created these, and states likewise, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. These refer to our intellectual vision and hearing, but also represent those physical faculties. When those faculties are lacking, when a person fails to see and hear what he should, he could experience a spiritual degeneration. That is why exile is compared to sleep. During the temple era, godliness was visible. At each festival, the people saw godliness. They witnessed the 10 miracles that took place in the temple in Jerusalem. But when the temple was destroyed, as the verse puts it, we do not see those signs. In other words, those signs, the miracles, do exist, but we do not have the capacity to perceive them.
0: Excellent, thank you, Hannah. So, day and night represent two different way, two different stages, stages in Jewish history, the the periods in which the Jews were settled in the Holy Land. When we had the Temple, the Beis Hamigash, in all of its glory. That is represented by day. It's a time of sunshine. It's symbolic to the visible shine of Hashem's light. So what's night? Night is representing the time of exile. Darkness prevents a person from seeing the correct path. He's uncertain whether he's taking the correct steps. He doesn't know where he's going. He's grappling. He has no warning of any of the obstacles, any of the hitches that he might be approaching. And so that's what's happening during our current time of exile. We're going. The Jews are going on a path. We're going in our way. But it's really hard to tell what's the right thing to do right now. The direction is a bit shadowed. It's a bit dark. The path of truth is hidden from the eyes of the Jew. The main indication that a person is sleeping is when his eyes are closed. The power of sight is the most essential power in a person. Referring to the sight both of the physical eyes as well as what we would call the intellectual eye. When you, when someone says, I see you're making a mistake, I see where your mistake is, what you? you really see it? You can see where the mistake is, you can see my line of thought. Rather. It's similar to what Solomon, King Solomon says um, in, in Ecclesiastes, in Mishle chapter 2, 14, he says, A wise person has vision in his mind. Chacham Enov b'roishoi. A wise person sees. He sees, but what does he see? He sees ahead. He sees what's going to happen. He can predict it in a way. The foolish person, he, he walks in the darkness. He doesn't know what's going on. Sight allows for wisdom. And darkness brings about foolishness. So this is the true meaning of exile. The ultimate exile is when it's dark. When I cannot know what the right thing is to do, when it's hard to tell how to behave in this certain circumstance, that's a moment of exile. In fact, we can have exiles within exile. When you come to a really heavy crossroads and you're not sure where to go and what to do and what choice to make, so what do you do? You're in a state of exile right there. That's dark, you don't know what to do. And now you have to think something up and you have to brighten your intellectual vision so that you can find the right choice. So now that we understand what sleep is and, and, and thus what is darkness, so let's discover when Hashem sees and hears. So let's go back to uh, Mechwan, can you read for us please? When Hashem sees and hears, page 13.
3: Hashem is our shadow mm. To speak, and since his behavior to, toward us toward us reflects our own behavior, our slumber causes heavily slumber to speak. Instead of God paying attention, the eyes of Hashem upon the writers is his ears to their supplications. Uh, the eyes of Hashem are passing through the land. And uh, instead of uh, us with seen our divine providence, our own personal lacking causes Hashem to receive to higher spiritual plants and seems to be asleep. In, in that state, divine. Providence might take on contradictory form. Goodness could be uh, generated from above, but uh, then end up in the wrong place. And instead of uh, a behavior in which our self as the chosen people is evident, we find ourselves in a state in which the stranger among you will be promoted above you, as the Torah one.
0: Thank you, Juan. So, um, we dream during sleep. And sometimes the dreams are crazy stuff, things that couldn't happen. Sometimes it's things that happened in the past, and sometimes we're dreaming about what might happen. Even nightmares, nightmares, they can shake me up, they can disturb a person, you wake up afraid. All of these things are short of the present reality. Maybe they reflect what reality might one day be, but then definitely not reality. It's a reflection. It's short of that. So is the situation in exile. It's the same thing in exile. What happens when, a Jew, when the Jewish people can be, um, what happens with the Jewish people can be nothing more than a dream, and it's against the reality. How can it be that Hashem's chosen nation, the most important people, should suffer so much? How can those who have earned the name, the children of Hashem, go through such intense trials and tribulations? As the Baal Shem Tov said The Jewish people are to Hashem like an only son born into a father's old age. So it, it's it's the most unrealistic Absurdity that could ever happen How can it be that Hashem is falling asleep on us? How does it happen? How does it happen that Hashem falls asleep on his only child? And uh, the solution for this one it's a major question, right? And um, it, it really scratches an old scab of how can bad things happen to the Jewish people, right? And it's one of those questions that no one ever has an answer for, right? And someone who does have an answer go um, smack him. But in the meanwhile, we have, we have this. We have our conversation today, which lends at least a little bit of a, um, of a, of a picture into what's going on. So let's take a look. Source number six. Again, a quote from Purim 1972. And we're going to see, we're going to see how it can all fall together. So let's get Rav Shmuel. Can you please read for us? Source six. Um, How do we find this idea in the Purim story?
1: When Haman convinced King Akashverosh to annihilate the Jews, there is one nation scattered among the nations who are different, and Mordecai and Esther searched for ways to abolish the decree, they did not allege that Haman's accusations were a lie. Seemingly, if the goal was to abolish the decree, Esther and Mordecai should have argued that the allegations were false. The fact that they didn't do so proves that the allegations were true. The explanation. The commentaries point out that when Haman said, said yeshno Amechad, Achad, there is one nation, the text should have used the more common Yesh Am Achad. The unique, this unique terminology alludes to the Jewish people's state of slumber. Yeshno can also be read Yashnu. They have fallen asleep. As the Talmud says, they have fallen asleep from performing commandments. A Jew must be awake. His or her heart must be alert and attentive to God, to his Torah and to His commandments. This was Haman's allegation. There sleeps one nation the nation which is supposed to be one and unique, chosen from among all the others, they are still here, but they have fallen asleep. This was Haman's allegation to King Akashverosh, and it was a mirror of the heavenly Haman's allegation before God, king of the universe. The Jews had fallen asleep to Jewish observance, as evidenced by their participation in the Feast of Akashverosh and by the other misdeeds which brought the decree upon them. A person should be treated according to his own behavior, Haman argued. If the Jews are indifferent to God, God too must be indifferent to them. Esther did not try to refute Haman's argument, nor did Mordecai suggesting that Haman's logic was accurate.
0: Okay, thank you Rabbi Shmuel. You know me, I like words. So let's take a look at this fantastic play of words, right here. This is the Hebrew side of the text that we've been reading. I zoomed it in so you can focus on these words. Here is the sentence from the from the Megillah. It says, "Yeshnoi am echad mufuzar u mufarad ben ha'ameim." Yeshnoi means there is. How would you say this? There is, there is. What is there? Am a nation? Echad, one nation. There is one nation. And what are they? Mufuzar, mufarad, spread out, ben between all of the other nations. So the question is, how do you read? this sentence. So the mefarshim tell us that instead of saying yesh Amechad, it could have said yesh amechad. So you see the difference between this and this? Um, here it's just yudshin. Here it's yudshin. There, what the, the text has actually chosen, they add a non Okay, now we're going to add the um, nukodos, the the punctuation marks, which really change up the whole understanding. Until now, under the Yud, Yeshnoi, under the Yud you had a Segol, three dots, and the Vav had a dot on top of Choylon. Now, instead, the, the Mepharshim are rereading reading the text, they're making a, a word game on this and they're going to change the punctuation. By the way, this is one of the reasons why in the Torah there is never going to be punctuation. You cannot write punctuation to the Torah for people who can't read because we need to have the oral Torah to teach us how to read it. And often the rabbis learn things from variant readings of an individual word. Now if there was specific punctuation marks in the Megillah you would not be able to make this learning this this lesson, and we would lose the information we're looking, looking for. Okay, so yeshnoi is different from yoshnu. Yoshnu means sleeping. Someone, someone is sleeping. Who's sleeping? Yoshnu amecha, this nation is sleeping. And what are they f- sleeping from? Min mitzvahs they're sleeping from the mitzvahs. And that, my friends, is a pretty awesome. And um, and pretty awesome and fantastic um, lesson, I think, on um, on on the on the mission, on the text. The Rebbe is teaching us, and this is of, of course based off off of the um, the Mafershim. Where who are the meforshim that we quoted? Let's just tell you. Should we tell you? Do you want to know? Gimel. It says the the Radzu, the Radzu, as well as the Marsha. Famous people. And the Yalchot Shemoni, I'm pretty sure, as well. Okay, great stuff. These sources, that was in source number four, by the way. Um, the, so these, um, this teaching is that, yes, the people have fallen asleep. Mordechai and Esther come to the king, come to the king, they don't say, hey, um, you know, well, let's save the Jews for some other reason. They don't They don't come and say, no, the Jews are wide awake and storming. They don't have any of that. They, they clearly... By their silence agree with the message that yes the Jewish people have fallen asleep and mind you what have they fallen asleep from and how did they fall asleep let's think back to the story of the megillah for the moment in the megillah we read how shverish invites the people to come to a feast and the talmud tells us how mordechai tried them not told them don't go to the feast it's not kosher it's not jewish yes they'll feed you kosher food yes they'll feed you kosher wine but it isn't a jewish vibe it's not where a jew belongs Yet the people went anyway, in a way the people said, ah, whatever, it's not so important, we'll manage, we'll do something else, there's someone more important than Hashem. This was the, that was the moment where the Jewish people, fresh laughing, went to sleep. And then suddenly something happens and the Jewish people start start to stir start to stir and that wakes up the king by reflection so let's take a look in section number four section D the alarm clock how how can we wake up Hashem what is the trick how do we break the cycle of us sleeping and so Hashem in his reflection is sleeping on us how are we gonna wake him up let's take a look section D this is page uh, let's see what page are we in the text it's um... Page sixteen, and let's get uh, Reb Chaim. Can you read for us, please? How do we break the cycle?
2: Of- the the explanation: We have the power to awaken Hashem specifically through self-sacrifice, being that the faculties of the body, from our vision down to the lowest faculties, are in a state of slumber. We lose the ability to govern them. They may even work against us, as Tanya says. Those originating from the evil side come and attach themselves to him and inform him in his dreams of mundane affairs, and sometimes mock him and show him false things and torment him in his dreams. To overcome these issues, a person needs to reach beyond his ordinary faculties and awaken the essence of the soul. In response, instead of Hashem retreating further away and being asleep, so to speak, he wakes up. In the words of the Megillah, sleep evaded the king. He reverts to the normal state in which the guardian of Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. Earlier, we cited the verse, I am asleep, but my heart is awake. Despite the fact that we are asleep in exile, our hearts are awake. Every Jew has a Jewish essence, which remains strong and whole. This is reflected in the self-sacrifice of a Jewish person, and therefore in heaven, Hashem's heart is awake as well; he is always awake. The guardian of Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps.
0: If I could drop in a piece of my own understanding onto this, onto this comment over here, I would say that in that in the last paragraph um, of uh, page sixteen, or perhaps the better, the bottom half, the second half of the sec- of the first paragraph, um, something has to wake a person up in the middle of their sleep when you're having a bad dream what wakes you up it's that moment of like oh my god this is too scary to live with that's what wakes a guy up and says yo I can't handle this I need to get up it's that moment it's it's like it's the body's recognition that it's too dangerous to maintain the current status that wakes the guy up and so perhaps over here Perhaps over here what the Rebbe is telling us is that when we hit this rock bottom the lowest point where we're all Where we're fast asleep, and it's not a good dream Then we need a cull. we need to pull on a much deeper part of the Jew a much deeper part We call this in Yiddish. It's called a Pintele Yid Um, in English we'd spell it P-I-N-T-E-L-E Pintele Pintele like uh, like it might uh it's like the little point, the little dot, that little, you know, eye of the needle size piece of the Jew, that little tiny drop in the neshama that's waiting for something to scratch it, and then it's gonna wake up and flare. And when, when we access that point of the Jew, boom, we wake up. And that's and you see on on the top of on the top of page. Uh, Twenty seventeen, seventeen. The verse there is Ani Yeshana of Alibi era. I am asleep but my heart is awake. Even though we seem asleep, there's a piece of me that's wide awake and, and ready to jump into action. And the same way, every Jew has a Jewish essence which remains strong and whole. And that's you know something you know like we hear stories about um, about the Jewish people that when it came to um, you know a guy who was not observant at all broke every one of the commandments and did it vis- you know uh, with with enjoyment you know the guy who goes who goes to eat pork on Yom Kippur and he says it he does it with a thrill it's like when better to eat pork than on Yom Kippur that guy if someone comes to him and says hey deny your jewish or i'll kill you when he's stuck between a a rock and a, and a hard spot is that the right word when he's stuck in this tighter spot and it's a life or death spot situation something inside forces him to say I'm Jewish and I will never never be otherwise and you can do anything you want but I'm still Jewish and that's the thing that wakes up, that's the point of the Jew that wakes up and in reflection is strong enough to wake Hashem up so that Hashem is more like the Hinei lo Yonu v'lo Yishan Shem Yisrael and Israel, the Guardian of Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps So let's take a look Source number 7 recording again from the Rebbe's Fabrenge of 1972 um, In which the Rebbe tells us What is the number one thing that wakes up the Jewish the, That wakes up Hashem What is that one thing that's really going to stir and scratch and wake him up. So let's get Chana, can you read for us please? Source number seven.
4: The Midrash relates. What was it that disturbed Hashem's sleep? It was the sound of the Jewish children studying Torah, young children before Bar Mitzvah. Ignoring the terrible situation, the Jews followed Mordechai, gathering Jewish children together to study Torah. This gave Hashem what he needed to ignore all the accusations and to wake up to their plight."
0: Thank you, thank you. So what is it that wakes Hashem up? What is that number one thing that wakes Him up? Children studying Torah. Children studying Torah. And in, in fact, there is a major um, you know, global activity that's done on Purim. Purim is this really busy day. And, and with all of the busyness of all of the good deeds that people do, um, we organize um, what we call Yeshivas Mordechai. Gathering all the children in the spirit of Mordechai having gathered 10,000 children and getting them to learn Torah in public. When the, when the government was saying um, we were going to kill all the Jews, the, nevertheless that was the moment when um, Mordechai says, you know what, we're going to be extra-Jewish now and we're going to do it and do it well. So it's that thing, so on Purim, in that spirit, there's, there's often extra gatherings of children to study Torah. But that brings us to, the, to this closing comment from the Rebbe on the last page. This explains why the verse, On that night sleep evaded the king, is the pivotal moment of the miracle. Despite the slumber of the Jewish people, Hashem wakes up. This occurred because the Jewish people stood in a state of self-sacrifice. It was an entire year. By the way, it was a full year from beginning to end of the story, from when Haman decided he's going to, he wants to annihilate the Jews, until the date chosen. It was a full year, 12 months, four seasons. And during those four seasons, no Jew ever said, I'd rather be, I'd rather be like everybody else and, and live a good life. No one was prepared to give up their Jewishness to be saved. A phenomenal thing. But it's a year of self sacrifice. Um, a year of rejection of idol worship, like like we say in the following brackets. It's when a Jew says he's not going to um he's not going to serve idols, that's when he's called a Yehudi. A Jew like the Talmud says that when you renounce Judaism, that's when you're called a Yehudi. A Jew. The pivotal moment of the miracle was that the sleep evaded Hashem, and that caused sleep to evade King Ahashverish as well. Why did the sleep evade Hashem? Because we woke him up. To evade King Achish, it ultimately bringing the light, joy, and celebration and honor to the Jewish people. And as such, these days will be reenacted in every generation. The Arizal, that's what it says in the Megillah, it says, <laughs> And that's the, the these days are reenacted in every generation. The Arizal told us that by recalling and reliving those events, we actually once again channel those same blessings again. And so by relieving the reliving these messages from the poem story, both the literal story and the mir- mystical story, we drink we bring to the Jewish people wherever they are, and in whichever state they find themselves, we will bring them Urav, Asimchov, Asasim, Yikara, light, joy celebration and honor and so so let's review this let's review this let's review this from beginning to end we started with the story of the Megillah. then we questioned what's the main part of the megillah that the king wakes up so we said hey what's the big deal in fact not just what's the big deal shocking how can they think how can the king go to sleep altogether? can you imagine the king goes to sleep but we said we have all these verses that say god is wide awake and taking care of us all the time the response is That Hashem, in a way, in one way, reflects our behavior. When we are asleep, Hashem is sleeping. But there's a piece of us that's always awake. And if we can wake up that piece, if we can get our Pintoli Yid to wake up, how do we do that? By studying Torah. Children studying Torah and we're all children in a way because we all don't know all of Torah. We're all, in a way, children in our Torah study levels. So when we are going to wake up and study Torah and invest ourselves in in God's Torah in spite of what's going on in the world around us that's when we wake up Hashem and effectively we're waking up ourselves too. And when we wake up Hashem Hashem says, yo, these guys are with me. I'm gonna take care of them. I am going to watch over them and spread my my all-encompassing wing of peace and, and light over the Jewish people. And like that we can end with the same blessings that the Megillah ends with. That for the, Jew, for the Jewish people, there was light, joy, happiness, and celebration. And at this moment in our lives and in Jewish history, 2022, who would ever think that there could be such danger posed to Jewish people and so many of them? Uh, we take a moment to recognize and to hope and to beg from God that in the merit of the Torah study that we just did, let god protect our brothers and sisters in europe not just our brothers and sisters in europe what about the brothers and sisters all over the world let god take care of us and rid us of the trouble we're in and protect us every one of us wherever we may be and give us goodness light happiness and good energy good shabbos and zay amen